And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, guys, gals, and non-binary pals to another episode of All the Above, the show that gives you an unstandardized take on education. I'm Jeffrey Garrett, one of your co-hosts, and I've been a middle and high school principal and a high school social studies teacher, and as always, I'm joined by... Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. I'm a high school history teacher. I teach in the Los Angeles area. I've been at this for 16 years and counting, and this, of course, is All the Above, a show where we bring you all the latest news and analysis of all things education because we know, like you know, that education does not get the attention that it deserves. Now, this particular episode, um, Jeff, this is this is dropping at the very end of December, and I don't know if you know the, the, the true significance of the month of December. Oh, but I do, Manuel. It was, uh, it was two years ago. This month, two years. when two uh, bright-eyed and, and bushy-tailed, yes. uh, naive bushy young tails. educators uh, <laughs> uh, got together and sat in front of some cameras and, yeah. and spent a whole Saturday filming things. That was that, a long that day. Was so bad that we didn't even use <laughs> any of them. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, all jokes aside, um, you know, two years ago this month, uh, the, the journey of all the above began. Indeed. And, uh, you know, what a journey it has been. We've uh, we've had so many amazing special guests on so many conversations that, um, you know, I think we, we say it a lot. Right. Like mm -hmm. education doesn't get the attention it deserves. But, right. Uh, so many topics that have been discussed here that, you know, I don't know where uh, where you go to find, um, you know, a, a robust discussion right. among practitioners uh, around these topics in in media. Yeah. Right? And so. Uh, so it's just been so much fun. It's such a privilege to be a part of the show. And yeah. and thank you to all of our supporters and listeners and folks who subscribe. Uh, you know, you've you've uh, you've helped make this possible. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if you are a podcast listener, we appreciate you uh, streaming the show and, and rating us and reviewing us and telling your friends about us and colleagues. Um, but some of you watch us on YouTube and we know you've subscribed and we appreciate that and all the thumbs ups and all of that, as well as the comments that folks have posted under uh, videos, whether it be on our Twitter or Facebook or whatever. We really appreciate you. And um, Jeff, you know, since it's been two years and since this calendar year is transitioning from 2019 to 2020 I thought you know as a teacher sometimes my my final for the semester will be a project or essay and the last day of class by then like all the work has been done so sometimes we gonna, kids will, we gonna watch a movie mister? kids will ask no Can no we watch a movie mister? <laughs> we can't we can't unless you know we go to our, our YouTube and watch we have plenty of videos there okay. uh, to watch right. but you know sometimes <laughs> kids bring food and want to play games and have fun and um we don't have food for you today, um, but we do have a lot of fun because uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a look at the highlights of all of the above in 2019. Jeff, tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, each of us, as a judge, jury, and executioner uh, in, in this particular case, uh, have gone back and thought about the incredible uh, episodes we've had over the last year. And have picked out our favorite moments. Uh, so yeah. this is this is going to be our like best of 2019 um, to 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 reshare with you all and um, uh, to just bring back to the forefront some of the most interesting, some of the most engaging conversations we've had uh, over this last year. And um, you know, I, I don't know about mm. you, Manuel, but I'm I'm excited for it because it was uh, you know it's one of those situations where you kind of like well, which which finger uh, yeah. <laughs> is the favorite, right? Uh, there's there's so many good wants to choose from but uh, we're going to get into our favorite content from this last year dope so that's going to include taking a look at some of our uh many many guests that we've had across 2019 of course if you are new to our show all of our episodes are available obviously on on youtube if you go to our website aotashow.com each episode has its own episode page with links to all the stories and studies that we've discussed as well as for particular guests if they've written anything or have any particular uh, media of their own we post that on the episode pages too so this is going to be a quick look at the highlights of 2019 all of it is available at aotashow.com. So with that being said, let's get into it. All right, folks, let's jump right into it. We're going to take a look at some highlights from our many episodes that dropped in 2019. Now, Jeff, let's start with you. What's one of your top highlights from all of the above in 2019? 
Yeah, man. Well, so I'm going to start off with an episode that um, that really stood out to me because of uh, not only the richness of the topic, mm-hmm. but just uh, the amazing contributions we had from two very special guests. Uh, this was way back uh, in episode 10, season two, mm-hmm. episode 10, when we were fortunate enough to have on uh, David Adams from the Urban Assembly, uh, all the way from New York City. Indeed. And uh, Siobhan Taylor, uh, trauma educator and radio host uh, here in Los Angeles, uh, to talk about um, trauma-informed care and trauma-informed practice uh, in our schools. And uh, the clip that I'm gonna that I'm gonna share here, I think, really resonated with me because so much of the conversation that I think we get stuck in uh, mm-hmm. around school culture and behavior and restorative justice and these sorts of things is really all about uh, like kind of. Um, controlling student behavior, right, or dealing with student behavior. And I think uh, Siobhan and David offered us uh, just a much more sophisticated way, I think, and and smart way to think about um, what is happening when students are exhibiting problematic behavior. So uh, let's take a listen uh, to what Siobhan and David uh, had to share. When you have a trauma-informed approach, you're coming at it from perspective of looking at the behavior as communication. Mm not as something that needs to be fixed. And a lot of times we miss a lot of key things happening for children and the story that they're telling because we want to correct the behavior. A lot of times you have people who tell you things like, oh, well, this way worked. This was effective. The definition of worked was compliance, not healing. So when we are missing that, we're missing out on opportunities for healing. And it's not just the children. The other thing is, it's not just the children that we look at and say that they're misbehaving. Is also the children that are compliant. And we miss a lot of things that are happening for the quote unquote compliant child because the kid that wants to sit in the back doesn't participate. You know, they could be moving through something, but we're, we're so busy trying to focus on correcting behaviors. So, oh, well, that kid's good. That kid's not a problem. That kid's okay. And then now we're not paying attention to other signs that there might be spaces where we, we could be a space for healing. All right, so Jeff, that definitely is one of the highlights for me too, one of my personal uh, favorite episodes for a few reasons. One, uh, one thing that she, uh, Siobhan commented on there about behavior as communication. Uh, one of our most loyal, all of the above YouTube viewers, uh, Jonathan Fichter, um, also commented about that, that concept of thinking about behavior as a student's communication to you uh, about how they might be uh, feeling or what they might be going through. And for her to sort of distinguish between uh, the focus on so-called problem kids, behavior kids, behavior challenges, a lot of times in these conversations about trauma, we are, I know me as a classroom teacher, whenever I'm in a PD session or any kind of um, workshop about trauma, I can't help but think about some episodes I've had with particular students, and those episodes were very explosive episodes. And um, she dropped a very important uh, point with us and a very important reminder that the student who's moving through something isn't necessarily always going to be the student that lets you know that they are like really feeling a certain way that day. It might be that quiet student that simply is just trying to get through the end of the day and get through the end of the class. So I really appreciate that because I think a lot of teachers can be helped with this reminder that like trauma isn't just about that explosive kid who's like having an episode. Trauma is also that quiet kid that you just period passes and you're like, wait, did I, was so-and-so even here today? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I fully agree. I think uh, I think what Shaman was naming uh, in that um, in that excerpt to me was was really one of the hardest things about being an educator and working in a context where you're dealing with a lot of students who are uh, struggling with trauma and adverse childhood experiences. And that is the, the sort of role of the practitioner to see behavior as a story, as, right. as you said, and as, as Siobhan said, um, rather than as like this, this personal attack or like this thing that's getting in the way of my plan yeah. or a distraction from the work that needs to happen. And, and to feel those emotions as a, you know, as a dean, as a teacher, as a campus aide, as a principal, yeah. is very uh, natural, right? Like I've got all these things I got to do today and this stuff happened and I have to control this so I can get back to the work, right? right. Uh, and I think part of what she's calling us to do is to, uh, to take a different 
approach, right, in those moments and to think about what story is being told by this behavior and what is actually happening that needs the work right. rather than just how do I, you know, control, contain, confine whatever behavior is happening. Yeah. Uh, so really, really powerful stuff there, I thought, from, from Siobhan. Yeah, absolutely. And she's one of our most loyal uh, Facebook viewers. Um, she shares and comments quite a bit. And she's, uh, we have to have her back on the show because yeah. she's got so much, um, so much to offer. Um, that episode also does remind me, however, of some of our um, early IDEO challenges. Like, unfortunately, uh, there's aspects of our one-on-one -on -one, uh, sit-downs with uh, David and Siobhan um that you yeah. know had a little little bit of technical technical issues but you know overall the dopeness still uh came through that our guests brought that day yes the the dopeness cannot be confined cannot be by confined. shoddy mics uh at all <laughs> but yes oh good point i think uh i would love to have them both on to yeah. back on to to revisit uh this conversation we gotta fly again, david sure. back out you know, yeah. or, you that? know, Urban oh. Assembly can fly him back out. The, the AOTA budget is, is, is uh, exactly zero. Zero dollars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless somebody listening would like to uh, perhaps sponsor our show and we help us out in we that. We do take sponsorships. Well, we do. We yes. do. Um, all right. Uh, great. All right. So let me share one of my highlights from uh, 2019. Actually, this one, however, um, came through at the very, very, very end of 2018. And it's a sit down that we had with students. And, you know, a lot of times when we when teachers talk about students and uh, attendance and tardiness, a lot of times students, you know, get thought of as, as always being late to class or not being timely enough. And in this case, this highlight comes in just before 2019 even started. So these students weren't just on time. They were a little bit early. And I'm going to include them in the highlights for 2019 because what they had to share, I think, was very, very, very uh, valuable. So we sat them down for a conversation about dress codes. And we previously had an episode about school dress codes. And we wanted to get the students take on how dress code policies impact their experience in their schools. So um, let me play a little bit of that for you. Instead of like always pushing women to like cover up so then like male students could be able to focus in school, it's like, well, why don't you teach male students to not view women so like sexually or don't view them as like an object? Like, why don't you teach them to control themselves rather than having women having to like hide their bodies and feel kind of ashamed? Mm -hmm. Because this also like perpetuates a rape culture that in our society because like we're kids right now and although you're telling us right now, we're going to grow up to be adults, we're going to grow up to be parents, we're going to grow up to be like other, you're going to replace like the next generation and for us to be told that that's not really teaching us the right ways. Like I know school is just meant for like education and just like, you know, just straight educated, but we need to be taught how to be better people as well. And um, yeah. And I think too on that, like also we have to start weighing out our options. like. Is my crop top, like if I'm a young person, is my crop top really taken away from what I'm learning? Um, and how is that, what, what, are, what are the priorities in that way? So yeah. I definitely hear those, those concerns, like those are definitely valid. And it's been a problem for like a while, so I feel like we should uh, like attend to it. Like men and boys always want to sexualize females, but they never really want to change. And I feel like times now, People are more body positive, and like people should change. Like, like I'm talking to a woman, I just look her dead in her eye. Like that's it. I just take her for her, and not about how her body looks. And if, like, if she feels comfortable, or if that person feels comfortable doing what they're doing, wearing what they're wearing, they shouldn't have to change. They shouldn't be said like, oh no, like you're too distracting. Like you have to go change. You have to go put on PE clothes because that's what they used to. Uh, some schools used to do. They used to say, oh no, you're wearing too short shorts. You have to go put on like PE clothes. That's that's not acceptable. Man, well, I am. Uh, I'm just so glad you chose that uh, that excerpt because, uh, first of all, it's the one episode we've had with students on it, uh, right. which you know I know uh, if if we look at our views and things online has has really drawn great interest from folks. Right, we've actually had two because that same group of students in uh, episode, I believe it was the next episode or two episodes later, sat down and talked about the pressure to go to college. Yeah. But you're right, same group of students, same uh, overall, same uh, setup. Yeah, thank you uh, for that. That correction. So, uh, but the elevation of the student voice, I think, uh, is what's so powerful. And to hear young people yeah. um, talking, you know, pretty eloquently about uh, these issues that are, you know, that are really, in my, uh, from my perspective, at the heart of uh, a lot of what we talk about and and 
are afraid of when we're thinking right. about school uniforms and kind of regulating the dress of young people, right? The sort of hypersexualization of girls, yeah. the kind of um, permissive, you know, uh, approach to boys is like, well, we'll have to, we'll just control the girls and then yeah. the boys can just be reckless, right? right. Um, uh, so to hear students naming that and, uh, and also kind of calling out the adults in the equation is like, well, where's the work around dealing with our boys and where's the work around helping, um, you know, our, our girls feel empowered and feel, you know, healthy and, and good yeah. uh, about themselves in school settings and not just policed and controlled uh, was, is a refreshing perspective to hear from, you know, a, a collection of high school students. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're listening to the podcast or if you listen to that episode, you're missing out because one of the students who was uh, sitting there um, was wearing a, a hot pink do-rag. Shout, shout out to Trey. Shout out. And <laughs> it was it was quite purposeful. Um, it was actually a uh, silent protest against his particular school's policy against wearing do-rags. And um, a few months after, after we had that discussion, uh, students at his school actually organized a walkout around the do-rag policy, which caught some attention um, online. So uh, these conversations about students and how they experience dress codes in their schools and how they interpret dress code policies, really, really important discussion to, to keep going or to, uh, to keep listening to if you're an adult. I know uh, Jeff and I have, have disagreed over dress codes in, in particular situations. And we had a, um, a whole episode about dress codes where, again, it was just adults speaking in that case. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of good points on, on multiple sides in, of the dress code debate. But in terms of students and how they're experiencing dress codes and everything from the, the, the gender perspective of dress code policies and hypocrisy within how different uh, students are treated to the racial component and the do-rag walkout was about students feeling that the do-rag ban was particularly aimed at African-American students and this idea of having to look a certain way and be policed in that way. Um, you know, dress codes are, it's, it's far from just a simple little discussion that you throw in the handbook at the beginning of a school year. So, so yeah, shout out to all the students that came on all of the above to share about that. And again, just like our other highlights, that's available at aotashow.com. What's next, Jeff? All right, man. Well, next up, uh, this one, I, you know, I'm a little bit biased, as I said in, mm. the, in the actual video. Uh, but, uh, you know, as a former principal, uh, I couldn't let this conversation go without uh, calling out a, a segment from the episode we did mm. on the principalship. Uh, and, you know, it made me very happy to, um, to bring on two principals and to really talk about the job and the role of being a principal, which I think is both, it kind of, it exists in this space in our society where like everybody know, like has gone to school and like sort of has some conception in their head right. of who the principal is and what it means to be a principal. But I think on the other hand, people have no idea what it, what it yeah. means to be a principal, right? And so we had two great guests, uh, Susana um, Ansley Gutierrez, uh, who's the principal of Santee uh, Education Complex, a large comprehensive high school in uh, South LA. And uh, then we also had on Eamon Ra, who's a principal of a newer high school uh, down in Watts, um, the U, as they call it, uh, mm -hmm. University uh, Pathways High School. Uh, down in Watts as well. So two compelling guests, amazing educators uh, to talk a bit about their perspective on what it takes to be uh, effective in the role. So let's let's hear a little bit in particular uh, from from Susana and, and Eamon. I think most importantly, a principal can't do things by themselves. Mm -hmm. I think you have to depend on your team and you have to build leadership um, within your school. And so a big part of what your position is as a leader on a school community is just um, how are you supporting and developing the people around you, the educators in your building, and how are you distributing that leadership in order to be able to be focused mm -hmm. on student achievement? Yeah, yeah to, to piggyback off of that, I think it's a superhero role in education for principals, teachers, yes. campus aides, security. <laughs> like, and I feel like in the, sitting in the principal's seat, you are the facilitator of mm -hmm superhero strengths across the board. Everybody's role is pivotal to the success of our, ch our children. So when we think of sitting in this seat, it's like, you know, I, I'm thinking of it like the, the league of incredible superheroes or the X-Men is everybody has a, a power. 
that is needed at specific times for the better of all our children, for the betterment of the community, for the betterment of the school. So it's just a facilitation of all these powers. And uh, it's fascinating when you see it, it when it's clicking. And, and it's, it's just phenomenal to see. And I think that is the balance when, because sitting in the seat, you can get a lot of conflict. You got to put out a lot of fires. But when you see, when, it, when that light goes on, when you see everyone moving in the same direction and it's like, cohesive and it's like oh it's that's our that's my currency like that's the currency that uh, I feel that principals get when you see it work um, yeah. so yeah that's now Jeff one thing I really loved about that highlight in that discussion is just seeing two extraordinary educators of color speaking about being leaders in their school site with such real love in their voice like it's clear that these two in particular yeah. really love being principals and really love being at their school sites and i think that's incredibly refreshing um for me i mean i i love my current principal um but these are two that i would also love to to teach on the same campus with because um i mean what susana was saying about distributed leadership and supporting uh supporting teachers i mean that's exactly what what i would love to see from all administrators like as a classroom teacher I think a lot of classroom teachers across the country have experiences with their administrators where they feel that they are basically either being talked down to or the administrator isn't really supporting them in building their practice. Instead, the administrator is playing some kind of gotcha. I think a lot of teachers feel that way. And I loved seeing these two principals uh, share their their views of, of being school leaders and being leaders in education. And this is just like chef's kiss. Yeah. I don't really know what a chef's kiss is, but I, Mwah. I, I oh, okay. All right. Now, <laughs> now you know. Now I know. Um, yeah. So I, I'm really glad you said that. And I think um, also what, what very much resonates uh, with me in this clip is the idea that um, so in the in this segment, the very beginning of it, which which we didn't show, you can right. uh, go back and watch the full uh, discussion at AOTAshow.com. Um, but it starts off a little bit of a montage kind of listing off all these things that principals are responsible for. And, yeah. You know, the instructional program and school construction and facilities management and budget and payroll and, um, you know, uh, the website and PR and, you know, all kinds right. of stuff. Right. And I think that list is it's so gargantuan. Right. Yeah. And uh, and so we are in, we've in some ways created this job that's full of all of these, you know, these like exp areas of expertise of like 20 professions that principals need to all be good at. Yeah. Um, and I think they're speaking to this sort of core truth, which is like you can't be a superhero and be effective in this role, or you certainly can't do that and be effective in the role for a long time. Yeah. The, the core or one of the most core functions of, of being a strong principal is building a strong and supporting and working with a strong team. Right. Um, and I think they both really compellingly spoke to that. And I think that is uh, in some ways runs counter to like what people think of as like the sort of strong figurehead yeah. uh, sort of principle. Like, you know, maybe once upon a time it, it was that. But in today's day and age, you, you know, to be good, you really need someone who's about empowering uh, and supporting a team of folks who are going to do this incredible amount of, of work together yeah. right, and effectively. Um, I also want to shout out uh, Susana um, is uh, is going to be going with, with me, with yours truly, hmm. uh, to South by Southwest, uh, their Dope. education conference in March of 2020. So on March 9th, we're going to be in Austin, Texas, presenting uh, a panel. I'll be moderating the panel with hmm. three incredible women, three incredible women of color who are principals from across the country. So Susanna Dope. here in L.A., uh, a woman named Miyoshi Knox, who's the principal uh, of Stagg School of Excellence in Chicago, um, mm. and a woman named Kiri Sores, who's the principal of um, the Urban Assembly Institute for Math and Science for Young Women. Uh, it's a mouthful. Wow. It's called UA Institute for short, but it's an all-girls um, uh, middle and high school uh, in Brooklyn. And okay. uh, yeah, so just incredible leaders going to be talking more about this issue, about what it takes to kind of support and help sustain principles. So more information to come about that. Yeah. But if you Google it, um, you know, the session is going to be called How Principles Thrive. So you can hear even more from Susana uh, about this topic. South by Southwest, March 9th. Yeah. How Principles Thrive. Indeed. Nice. Dope. All right. So uh, next highlight, Jeff. Now, I don't know if you noticed 
you have to look really closely. Um, but um, schools across the country are a tad bit segregated. You don't say. Yeah, I know. I hadn't Shocker. heard about this. Yes, I, <laughs> I was shocked to find this out myself. Um, so obviously, school segregation is an ongoing challenge, an ongoing topic of discussion. Mm. And this next highlight, we actually brought in a filmmaker who looked at one particular school in Southern California and their story of segregation and resegregation. And we brought them on to all of the above to talk about how this particular school's story in Southern California helps us understand the context of the segregation and school choice discussion across the nation. So that filmmaker was Pablo Morales and his short film, uh, documentary film, Can We All Get Along, is the uh, topic of this discussion. Let's go ahead and play it. And that was a really a jarring moment because I suddenly realized that because we had, as a, as a country, as a society, uh, decided that schools that are majority minority are bad. They're lesser than. And we've actually created these systems of, of grading schools, as you touched on, mm -hmm. that take into account very little about what is actually being taught on the campus and what is what is being achieved on the campus and is all about rating schools as if they're all equal you know so um and i got to spend a lot of time on the campus as i was making this film and i recognized there are a lot of things that are better about Muir today than when i was here when it was a racially diverse school they aren't the, what the only thing that i think is the children are really not getting is that sense that they are part of a larger community because the community has turned their backs on them. They did not turn their backs on the community. So I felt that uh, for me, I am not gonna participate in the segregation of public schools. I'm gonna send my child to whatever local public school that I, in whichever neighborhood you know, I am choosing to choose and, and racial diversity will be important in my choice, not secondary. Well, Manuel, just another uh, incredible choice from uh, from the last year. And I really loved uh, Pablo's episode with us as well, um, partially because of the great conversation we had and partially because uh, we got to watch the like sneak advanced uh, preview yeah. <laughs> of the film. Uh, and it was just such, such a uh, wonderful experience uh, to watch this interesting story about a high school in Pasadena, which is, you know, not a part of the country that you usually associate with uh, this this topic of school segregation. Right. But it's just such a, um, a complex and fascinating microcosm of our of our entire national story around this issue. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I think Pablo's words really resonated with me around the idea that communities are turning their backs on schools that serve primarily black and brown youth and that serve lower income black and brown youth in particular. Uh, and that, you know, of course, this this system in our society is made up of individual families making individual choices. But we also, you know, at our own peril, ignore the sort of larger um, collective consequence of those decisions when it results in this sort of bifurcated, segregated world of education uh, that that, you know, is very much connected to the major national problems we have right now with you know, the insanity we see at Trump rallies, right? right. Um, I mean, this kind of stuff, those kinds of things, highly problematic and toxic things are fed by the sort of segregation, you know, de facto segregation we have in our schools now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what I appreciated about the film itself is that he, he looked at really major issues that have contributed to segregation over time um but also that you know that individual parent or or home choice um about supporting the local community school and his his film which is you know you can see it for yourself getalongfilm.com has earned quite a, a a slew of awards along the independent um documentary film circuit and you know i would like to think that him appearing on all of the above perhaps had some role to play because our, our show being, you know, the uh, on the forefront of discuss, uh, discussions around education, I'm sure him being on here gave him perhaps a little bit of a, what we like to call a, a AOTA 
bump. The bump. Yes. The bump. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the awards, I mean, the Toronto Liftoff Film Festival's official selection for that, Award of Excellence at the Independent Docs uh, Festival, uh, Best Shorts Competition Award of Excellence, Depth of Field International Film Festival Award of Merit, the Indie Fest Film Awards Award of Excellence, uh, Silver Winner at the Telly Awards, Burbank International Film Festival nominated for the Best Short Documentary, Accolade Global Film Competition Award of Excellence, just a whole bunch of awards keep coming in. Uh, so shout out to Pablo Morales who uh, took the time to really dive deep into this issue of segregation in schools as a parent and from the parent perspective. And as he shared on the show, um, this was really rooted in his decision of where he's going to send his child to go to school because the school that Pablo went to was uh, very diverse at the time he went there. But now because of all these various factors, it's not a school that one would consider um, diverse in that same way at all. So great discussion there. Yeah. All right, Jeff, hit us with another highlight. All right, man. Well, uh, my final selection uh, for for the year 2019, mm. uh, which is which is almost over now, it's crazy to believe. Yeah, uh, the decade has come to an end. Um, but my third and final choice um, was our conversation we had about Teach for America, mm. and uh, I loved this conversation because you know Teach for America is such a such a lightning rod in our profession. Yeah. Uh, it's an organization that personally I have both incredible. Uh, positive feelings for and then like serious questions about right right um, and and have used as a principal uh, and relied on and have also wondered yeah. <laughs> if that is the right thing to do right uh, and some of the very best educators that I know are TFA uh, alumni uh, including the two guests that we had on in that on that episode uh, Tanya Franklin and Marcus Hughes, Dr. Marcus Hughes. Um, yeah. And I believe this was also the episode where we were all sitting at this table and it was mm-hmm. it was Dr. Rustin, it was Dr. Hughes, yeah. Tanya, who went to law school. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so JD, Tanya Franklin, and then little old me with just my master's degree and my admin credential. And I was like, I have never felt so poorly educated <laughs> on a panel uh, ever before. Um, but, uh, just, just a great conversation, both Tanya and, uh, Marcus have, uh, you know, were TFA teachers and then have returned to their community here in Los Angeles to continue their work, uh, in education. And, um, you know, they really got into, I think the kind of the heart of the issue around like why Teach for America is important. Uh, and so let's, let's listen to this clip. America is not the solution. It's one of hopefully many, um, you know, pieces of the conversation to solve educational inequity more broadly. And so I'm grateful that that exists as part of the solution, but we need more and more partners, more educators working together on this um, and not just looking at Teach for America as the, um, you know, whether they're put on the pedestal or they're the fault for it. Um, They are one of many players in this conversation. Yeah. And I think to your point, Jeff, the, the, critique is is understood but I think it's very short-sighted in in some ways if you don't see it in the context of the bigger picture the challenge is is if teach for America teachers weren't there then what it's always a choice you could if if that teacher was not part of the pool and you had to choose between a teach for America teacher or nothing right you're going to go with the teach for America teacher why is that even there teach for America exists because the teaching profession is not valued in our country enough, as well as there are not as many people desiring to be teachers like they once were. And so it's part of um, the evolving strategy of Teach for America is like, how can I get, how can I one, help with the immediate problem of, you need a special education teacher, but at the same time knowing that just providing plug-in teachers doesn't solve the larger problem of one day all children deserve a quality education. You need administrators, you need leaders, you need advocates, you need policymakers, you need business owners, all bringing their expertise to the problem, uh, to, to the problem and then trying to find a, a collective solution. All right. Well, Jeff, that conversation, that highlight actually um, brings to my attention something that we haven't formally officially discussed yet, but it's the um, requirements to be a guest on all the above 
And the, the requirement to be a guest on all of the above is that you have to be a phenomenal educator mm. or a phenomenal voice in education. And those two reminded me that like our guests are dope. Yeah. Like super dope. Some of you might be watching this episode or listening to this episode as a result of the previous episode with Min Jung Pei. And, you know, she is just the latest in a long line of super dope educators that yeah. we brought on here. And these two educators are, are both phenomenal. I know I have my own personal reservations with Teach for America. I have worked at a school site where Teach for America was leaned on to supply teachers at a particular time where there was great need. And very few of those teachers remained. Uh, very few stayed the full two years. And very few stayed beyond that, for sure. And, you know, that def I definitely have my misgivings about uh, Teach for America. However, those two educators remind me that, like, a lot of the really, really, really great transformative, transformative folks that I know in education got their start in Teach for America. Like, a lot of them. I have, you know, former principal that was in Teach for America. Uh, one of my favorite district administrators uh, started in Teach for America. So, you know, organization that I have my reservations over, but... I can't doubt the quality of some of the folks who have come through there. And, um, and this, this conversation reminded me of that. Yeah. Yeah, it did for me as well. And I think uh, definitely as a principal, I hired uh, people from, from Teach for America, particularly in situations where the talent pool was mm -hmm. incredibly thin, right? right. Um, and where, you know, I didn't have a lot of great choices, right? Um, and Teach for America was one of the few sort of pipelines for folks um, where you could find, you know, uh, really talented folks who were ready to like work hard and roll up their sleeves and do the work. Yeah. And, um, and so I think the, the reservations that a lot of people have about TFA that kind of are rooted in the idea of like, well, they're just, you know, sort of get these people who are like passing through and, and yeah. churning and turnover. I think Marcus's point was really, really relevant that like that is a problem that yeah. just exists in our profession right now. And, and as we talked about a lot with the, you know, uh, teacher shortages everywhere, like this is a huge problem that like the system has not fixed. And so you can go ahead and not like teach for America, yeah. but, but administrators and district folks who are like, we have hundreds of vacancies to fill. How are we going to fill them all? You know, are not just sort of making some willy nilly, uh, decisions about yeah. like wanting to work with Teach for America. These are very nuts and bolts HR decisions about like where are we going to get good talent to serve our students, right? Uh, yeah. So I, I appreciated their their perspective on that and really kind of like calling out the the interconnected nature of this. You know, sometimes people think of TFA as like the boogeyman or something, right. when like the reality is this is a big big issue and Teach for America is for better or worse, or whether you like them or not, stepping right. up to bring talent into uh, into schools and communities where that has not been the norm. Right. right, and right. So, uh, so also, I would I do want to call out because you mentioned the uh, the AOTA bump. Yeah. Uh, just a yeah. moment ago. That's science, uh, man. That's a that's a real thing. That's yeah. A real I mean, it's it's been there's science, been numerous huh? studies. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. It's unassailable. Um, so as further evidence of the mm -hmm. AOTA bump, I would like to call out that one of the two guests on that episode, Miss Tanya Franklin, uh, is currently a candidate for school board. Uh, in the Los Angeles Unified School District. Damn. So um, she is running. Um, and if you are, you know, if you're impressed by what you saw from Tanya, uh, you know, feel free to, to Google her and uh, check out her her yeah. website. I'm sure she could could use folks support. But uh, it's great to see people who have come through this uh, this studio uh, yeah. going on and moving on to doing doing big things in the field. Yeah, absolutely. And we, uh, or you sat down with her for a one-on-one -on -one conversation, one of our many, many video extras that are on our YouTube channel and on our website. Most of the guests that you're hearing from in these highlights, we sat down with them for a one-on-one -on -one conversation yeah. to get more in depth about their their work in education in particular and um, sort of their, their history in education. So uh, check that out at our YouTube channel. But Jeff, we have time for, I believe, one more highlight from our 2019 all of the above episodes. And well, let's just say there are a few episodes that you and I have disagreement, or, or I'm sorry, there are a few topics that you and I each have disagreement over. I think one of the prime areas of disagreement that we have shared over the course of 2019 has been the discussion around SATs and the College Board. And um, one particular episode where we kind of went on and on and on bouncing back and forth around this 
uh, this particular controversy related to the College Board was the episode where we talked about their adversity index. Let's just play a quick highlight from that discussion. I thought what was really interesting is that on the website they noted uh, in the pilot with these 50 universities that um, college admissions folks who participated said things like it allowed us to rely less on stereotypes, assumptions, or incomplete data and more on hard facts. Um, and it was valuable for students from non-feeder high schools. So that means, you know, schools that aren't just like the powerhouse high school that sends 100 kids to their college every year, right? right? Um, and areas that the college admissions officers are less familiar with. So I, I think it actually can be a lever for equity in the college admissions process that perhaps opens the door to more students who don't just um, come to the game already with lots of privilege. Will it play out that way? We'll see. Um, will it wind up being challenged by, you know, conservative white folks who feel entitled to every seat at Yale? We'll see. But uh, from my standpoint, I actually, I went into researching this feeling like, mm, I don't know about this. Mm -hmm. And as I did now more research and looked it. at it, I said, this is the kind of thinking college admissions officers are already doing. It's the thinking that's behind uh, even in states that don't have affirmative action that, that um, you know, that say, well, if you're in the top 10% of your high school class, you get automatic admission to your flagship state university or a state university campus. That's the same type of calculus that is, that is being just captured as data points right. um, in the dashboard. It's also interesting that it captures both a community uh, set of indicators and a school set of indicators, right? So it it's, it's trying to be nuanced in that way, which, which I appreciate it. So... We'll see what happens, but from my standpoint, it is not the, the boogeyman uh, right. that I thought it was framed as. And to me, the brouhaha seems a little overblown. Nah, see, and obviously I pause anytime I might find myself on the same side as, as conservative folks <laughs> uh, by any measure. Um, but in this case, I mean, you know, from, from what I read about this, this you know, I'm thinking about school. Uh, I think about students who move schools, you know, because a lot of my students uh, shift mm -hmm. around for various reasons. And um, for what I saw, they, they look at your last placement at time of application. And I have a lot of group home students. And there's a group home that's in a, a, a nicer area of the city. And I wonder what their index will look like if that is the neighborhood from which they are measured. And students and counselors can't, at least as of right now, can't see their score. So that's problematic in itself. And to me, if you have to do all this to try to make sense of a test score, then maybe the problem is with the test, period. So when I think about education, when I think about um, the, the grand purpose of it, and me, I'm trying to school for liberation to get everybody, especially folks on the margins, into a place where they feel that they could thrive and enjoy the best that life has to offer. To me, this is like keeping systems in place, in this case, the SAT, um, that should have been ditched a long time ago. And the more we keep them in place, the more we set up ways to make sense of them, then the longer, is, from my view of it, the longer we just keep these mechanisms going and we never get to the root of the problem, which is that all these measures, all these attempts to try to quantify who is smart enough for college or best prepared for college, um, just the more that we keep those going and the more damage we do to folks who are on the margins. All right, so that was just a, a quick glimpse of that discussion, which which actually went on and on. I got into talking about that being a, a grit score, and you reminded me of um, just being an admissions officer and how important that type of context is. Um, but I'm pretty sure the college board listened to what I had to say, and they, they ditched the whole thing altogether, didn't they, Jeff? Rip it up, toss they, it out? They most certainly did not. They did not? I think. Uh, but they I'm, tweaked it. I'm, they did tweak it. Um, they did make some some changes. Uh, I think Dave, David Coleman, who's the head of the college board, um, essentially came out with a public statement saying they're taking a, a humbler approach mm. to uh, to kind of constructing the data and sharing the data. So my understanding at this point is that when your scores are submitted to a school, it's not going to come with like an adversity index score on it. Um, but that the information about your school and your right. community are still going to be available to college admissions officers. They are also going to be making that information available to students and families, okay. uh, which which the sort of one sidedness of just sharing that with the college right. uh, had been a criticism before. So uh, I think it's it's still happening. I think um, you know I I appreciate the controversy um, yeah. on this on this issue, and I also think you know I, 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 at the end of the day we are 
this is work that college admissions officers are already doing, trying to understand and trying to kind of compare apples and oranges across the country. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think we should shy away from the information. All right. So that was a conversation that we had about the adversity index, or I think that's what they were calling it at the time. Um, this idea that the college board would would sort of add that measurement or that diagnostic to a student's profile uh, as it relates to their SAT score or all that. But we've discussed these topics of the college board and the SAT several times. We obviously discussed the story of the um, University of California being threatened with litigation if they don't uh, remove the SAT and the ACT as a freshman application requirement. We discussed, of course, the College Board, um, well, the report in the Wall Street Journal of the College Board selling student data to elite colleges that were using that data to entice students to apply just so that they could boost their selectivity measures. I think during season one, long time ago, we discussed uh, questions about the SAT perhaps becoming more of a performance task. Mm -hmm. um, so this is an ongoing conversation related to obviously testing and the college board and this whole idea of college readiness and how do you try to measure uh, who's ready for whatever particular college and who might not be. So yeah, I don't think we are finished discussing the college board. I'm sure there's going to be more to come. Yeah, well, I think next we're going to have the, the episode where you uh, profess your love for all standardized testing and that oh, for sure. it should be the only thing that counts. Uh, in, yeah, I don't in know why we look at anything accountability, else. Right? I don't know why we look at anything else. K, I mean, K to 12, let's, let's skip it. all the teaching. Let's just do tests every day. K to 12. What about pre-K, Jeff? Them, Not bad. They got to learn bad. how to bubble, what, man. What about TK? Man. Get let's get them while they're young. Get them out the womb yeah, bubbling, yeah. man. It's okay if they can't hold a pencil. They can just point and we'll bubble for them. That is true. That yes. is true. Our All the Above logo <laughs> actually is a filled-in bubble. Which which was designed by Manuel Rustin. I'm saying. Uh, our our, uh, yeah. our testing uh, host extraordinaire. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. So, folks, I mean, those are just a few of the highlights of um, discussions that we've had over, over the course of 2019. And, and we've obviously covered a lot more than that. If you go to our website under um, season one, two, or three, you'll see all the different topics that we've done deep dives in. And you know those include school choice and segregation, obviously dress codes, uh, episode about transforming tra uh, struggling schools, episode about our own origin stories in education and what drove us to become uh, educators. And we had Genevieve on to talk about teacher quality and getting high quality teachers that's, in front of the most high need students That's senior middle school course i'm sorry senior Genevieve. senior middle middle Don't school correspondent i'm sorry Manuel. i'm sorry <laughs> and of course we've you know more recently talked about uh teachers identity work and surviving the low points in your in your career so all of that is available these discussions in education don't don't end because these are ongoing challenges and yeah. ongoing issues that we face so we do encourage you to 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 go back to to that content and um yeah, anything else to say about that, Jeff? Well, I think I just want to make one more plug because, uh, you know, we appreciate so much the folks who listen, uh, who uh, follow the show. Um, and uh, I really want to say thank you. I also want to make an ask, right? It's the mm -hmm. end of the year, and uh, we could really uh, use your continued support. Um, so even the small gestures, right? Um, go on into, you know, to SoundCloud or to Apple uh, Podcast. Or Spotify. And, or Spotify. Give us the thumbs up. Like the episodes. Uh, give it five stars. Um, you know, these are the kinds of things that make a different a difference in the uh, in the algorithms and whatnot that control yeah. uh, who gets to see what content um, on your social media platforms, on Facebook, on Twitter. Please share um, our posts. If you like something, uh, that's wonderful. Send it around even to one other person uh, yeah. can, you know, can make a huge difference. But please uh, continue to support the show. Uh, you know, we we put a lot into this and, and really care deeply about it and. Um, and just love the opportunity we get to to connect with people um, in our in our audience about these fascinating issues in education. And uh, what what better gift to give uh, for the holiday season than uh, sharing something that you're excited about with those who you love or, or those in your circle. So um, please spread the word about all the above. Um, and uh, sh show some love to us uh, in mm. the in the Twitterverse and the Facebook verse whatever that's called <laughs> uh <laughs> but we appreciate your your support folks uh very much thank you man that was well done man 
Well, yeah. the Facebook verse is a technical term that most people don't know about, but yeah. um, you know, it's becoming more and more known oh, uh, these days. Course. Much like Frederick Douglass. Oh, oh of course, of course. <laughs> All right, folks. So um, we'll leave you with a quick little class dismissed, which, of course, is where we like to shout out people doing wonderful things in the world of education. That's up next. All right, folks, now it's time for class dismissed. We want to give a special shout out to all of you educators. Me personally, I would like to shout out the classroom teachers in particular for wrapping up 2019 and getting your mid-school year break. Now, fall semester for a lot of folks is a uh, really difficult semester because you're trying to get to know all your students. You might have room full of brand new faces and, you know, it comes with all of its, all of its challenges. And not only did you make it, but you made it and you are gearing up and probably preparing now for spring semester, even though you're hearing Happy New Year all over the place, we know as educators, our calendar year takes second place to the school year. So 2019, 2020, new year, calendar year wise, but as far as the school year goes, you're just halfway through and we want to shout you out and wish you the best for your spring semester. We know that the true New Year's celebration comes at the first day of school. So in any case, enjoy this mid-year break. Yeah, I want to second that, of course, to all the hardworking teachers out there. Um, you know, this is this is that time, right, where like uh, <laughs> you're just trying to get to next Friday type of yeah. <laughs> type of thing. Just get to the break uh, and finish strong, right? And um, you know, and and that's a hard thing to do. Uh, it's hard as an individual who you know knows vacation is coming and has been grinding all semester, but also it's hard for the students, right? Yeah. So I also do want to shout out the, uh, you know, all the staff in our schools, principals, APs, especially, uh, you know, the kids that are that are um, having a tough time at the finish, uh, wind up in those offices quite a bit sometimes at this at this point in the year and, uh, and need need some support, right? Need that like, that balance of a little, a little love and a little swift yeah. kick in the butt to to get back on the right track, right? And so, uh, just appreciate everybody out there doing the good work. Hang in there. You're almost there. You yeah. almost made it. And uh, for those of you who are watching this over break, you did make it. So congratulations. Enjoy your time off and actually do unplug, right? Yeah. Don't just check email all break. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right, folks, that about does it for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. And, of course, if you haven't already, uh, we'd appreciate that subscribe and that like or review. And uh, we'll see you next time.